The Sexy Librarian presents the Kiss Me Quicks Erotica Podcast. We encourage lured listeners to be playful, enjoy yourselves, your partners, and your sexuality. This show is for adults only and is a hands-free listening experience. Well, at least one hand. Hey, hey, Lured listeners, welcome back to the Kiss Me Quicks Erotica Podcast. This is your favorite sexy librarian, Rose Carraway. Joining me again is Big Daddy, Dave Carraway. Say hey, Big Daddy. Hey, Big Daddy. No, say hey to the Lured listeners. Oh, is that how that's supposed to work? <laughs> Hi, Lured listeners. Hello, oh. Lured listeners. Oh, my. Um, you guys, I've got a couple of announcements to make before we get on with the episode. Our Tonight She's Yours, Cuckold Fantasies, Volume 2, the ebook is available right now in Amazon. It's just, I think it's like $9.99, so it's less than 10 bucks. Um, I think it works out to be like 55 cents per story, and there's 18 stories in this one. A couple more than that last volume we did, Volume 1. Um, so we're really happy to finally bring you that Cuckold Fantasies Volume 2 ebook. And you guys know the best way to support the show is to buy our ebooks, our print books, and of course our audiobooks. Um, let's see. Oh, I've taken on a new hobby. That's the other big announcement I wanted to make. Um, I've become a beekeeper. How does that relate to erotica? I don't know, other than it they gives got stingers. <laughs> they do. They have, I mean, is, that's sort of erotic, right? Is it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've not read that story yet. Um, but it's just been something to kind of give me, I think, a nice little adrenaline rush. It's been really, really exciting. Yeah, you're really into this. <laughs> I am. Like, I go to bed at night and I can hear the buzz of the bees. So I only have one hive. Um, I have reopened my blog. That's what I wanted really to say is if you guys want to talk to me about beekeeping or whatever else I put up Beek. on this blog. <laughs> Sexy beekeeping. <laughs> um, you could go to my uh, blog. It's the Rose Caraway at blogspot.com or .blogspot.com. I don't know how it works. Anyway, you'll find it. Just go, just search for me on Facebook. You'll see it. Um, hey, it's masturbation month. <laughs> yes, it is indeed. You what wanna, do you think I've been doing this think, entire time? <laughs> do you want to masturbate for me real quick? Um, what are you talking that? about? How do you not see what's happening? <laughs> what have you got for us from the uh, lurid listener mail? Well, yeah, we're definitely going to masturbate with this one. <laughs> Hold on. Let me. Okay, no. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so we get, we get emails, and especially since we've been reading them on the air, uh, we've gotten a lot of people sending in these little, just super sweet things, and, and it means so much to us. It really does feel good to hear people talk about how the work that we do, which sometimes seems frivolous and silly, uh, really impacts people in a real way. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and read this, and um, We're just we'll just take it from there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This email is from Emily in Texas. Woohoo, Texas. Let's oh, go, yeah. Girl. Hi, Rose and Big Daddy. I'm a long-time listener since I found your podcast a few years ago. I am writing to express my gratitude and appreciation for you and this podcast. Variety is one of the things I love most about your stories and those you choose from other authors. Every time I listen, I never know what I'm going to get, but I am never, all caps, disappointed. 
The range of content and literary quality in your stories is unbeatable. And as an English teacher, I would know. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Go ahead. <laughs> I would consider myself a very open-minded person when it comes to sex and sexuality, but this podcast has opened my mind and exposed me to fantasies and fetishes that I did not know were possible, or even that I had. Keep doing what you're doing to write and produce such wonderful and varied erotica, and I will continue to listen. Luridly yours, Emily in Texas. Yay! Thank you, Emily in Texas. That was amazing. I love it. Um, variety is definitely key, and erotica can bring uh, so much variety to your life and definitely bring awareness to stuff that does turn you on that you had no idea of, just mm -hmm. like she said. Um, you know, erotica is magical. <laughs> and it's easily <laughs> masturbated to, so. <laughs> happy May Day. Happy May Masturbation yes, Month. Yes, happy Masturbation Month. <laughs> Thank you, Emily from Texas. Speaking of variety. Okay. You like that segue? I'm about I do. to segue That's right now. Very nice. <laughs> Speaking of variety, we have been searching high and low to bring you variety, not only in the stories and the authorship of those stories, but new voices. We have found several new voices, um, and we've been incorporating them in our upcoming audiobooks. Mm -hmm. So we are going to give you a little taste of a new narrator that we have found, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Not only is it a new voice, but it's a new author that we're bringing to your attention today. Mm -hmm. I have published her before. Her name is Emmanuelle de Maupassant, and she's a brilliant writer. Um, and we think that Emma Pari, the new narrator, is, or one of our new narrators, is likewise brilliant. So I know you guys are gonna love today's episode. But before our story begins, here's our latest audiobooks. Viking Thunder by Emmanuel de Maupassant, narrated by Emma Pari. A Viking raiding party brings the sacking of Ellswith's home on the coast of Northumbria and the murder of her husband. Released from the man she has long hated, she becomes the captive of Eirik, a warrior who lets nothing stand in his way. Despite her humiliation at her forced seduction, Ellswith cannot deny her longing for his hard-muscled body and her desire to submit to his fierce arousal. With Eirik, she finds the satisfaction she has always craved. But can she ever be more than his plaything? If she returns with the Northmen to their distant lands, what future awaits? Viking Thunder by Emmanuel de Maupassant. Narrated by Emma Pari. The Big Book of Submission, Volume 2. 69 Kinky Tales. Whether you're simply curious about submission or regularly revel in the delights of BDSM, these 69 erotic short stories about submissives will turn you on. From participating in a musical recital that takes a very kinky turn, 
to making a grocery run while using sex toys, to indulging in a risque office encounter during working hours, these subs delight in obeying or deliberately disobeying their masters and mistresses in public and in private. They're rewarded and punished in the most wicked of ways that will leave you breathless. The Big Book of Submission, Volume 2, 69 Kinky Tales, by Rachel Kramer Bustle, narrated by Rose Carraway. Get these sexy audiobooks now in iTunes, Amazon, and Audible. It's the end of the harvest season, and Iris Muir is arriving in Irig to help repair an old dilapidated manor. But is the wind playing tricks on Miss Muir, or is Winter's tongue teasing at something deep and hidden within her? A maze calls to Miss Muir, and a cold circle of stones haunts her dreams. Please enjoy the ritual by Emmanuel de Maupassant, narrated by Emma Parry. What was I hoping for? To escape? From the butcher's son smelling of blood, old meat lingering under his nails? From the young curate, simpering love poetry as he held my hand limply in his. All those men lost in the war, you'll have to take what you can get or you'll end up a spinster. So many eyes, always watching, judging. On my father's death, I looked for grief to arrive, for tears or anger. I'd loved him, hadn't I? Instead, I was relieved. I'd been set free. The advertisement in the Hebridean Chronicle described a writer's retreat. I'd entice guests and manage bookings. The house needed renovation, with which I'd assist. The boat met me at Inverary Harbour, smelling strongly of fish, creels boxed on its deck. Sit you inside, said the captain. The sea's a wee bit rough, you'll not be sick, I hope. As Inverary grew smaller behind us, the burden of much I'd carried eased. When Irig's cliffs came into sight, violet dark with the sun sinking to touch them, I felt I'd found my new home. A young woman was waiting for me, wrapped tight in her shawl, eating an apple. I'm Mari, Mrs. McInnes sent me, she said, implying that she wouldn't have bothered if the choice had been her own. I listened to the steady creak of the trap's wheels turning and the rhythm of the horse's hooves. The coastal road had been alive with the shriek of gannets and cormorants. Yet as we turned inland, it became quiet. Grazing sheep glowed pale in the mauve twilight. Having bitten her apple down to the pips, she spat them to the verge. The track began to ascend, until it brought Dorcada's house into view, its tall windows looking across to the night twinkle of the sea. 
there was but one light which travelled from a room to the right of the porch, coming closer, until it disappeared from view, and the great door opened. Good evening, Miss Muir. She was a handsome woman, Mrs. McInnes, despite the severity of her features. Mari, the boys are in the stables and would be glad to see you. She turned to me and smiled somewhat brusquely. You must pardon the lack of light. The saving of the generator fuel is paying for our Edinburgh wallpaper soon to arrive. Of course, I said. It will be as it was when I was a little girl. There was Cullen Skink warming for me. She watched as I ate then led me to my room. Drawing the curtains, I saw the moon covered by clouds. Even on that first night I dreamt, a presence in the darkness. Under its gaze my skin burned, and I felt the swell of fear. It called to me, to the creature I'd been sheltering inside myself. I awoke to the room's chill, licked by the first hint of winter's tongue, and the feeling retreated to some hidden place. We ate breakfast in the kitchen at the long trestle table, porridge from the pot upon the stove. We'll talk more later and we'll make our plans. First, you should know the island a little better, Breathe its air, Miss Muir. Let it enchant you. Mrs. McInnes rose to dismiss me. You should see our maze, Miss Muir, at the summit of the hill. Outside, the sheep looked up at my passing. The long grasses of the heath lay flat under the wind. Summer had ended, but something of its comfort remained, the air warmer than I'd expected for October. A hare darted from the gorse, its white scat bright. I felt the wild openness of the irig landscape as a bird must feel its freedom from the cage. The narrow house and narrow life of Inverary held no sway over me now. It wasn't difficult to find. Looking up, I saw a tall hedge with an arch in the yew. I thought I heard someone say my name as I stood at the maze entrance. Perhaps it was only the wind playing tricks. Inside, all was still. I continued back and forth and around until the hedge revealed an open space, a wide clearing with a stone at its centre, naught else. The stone was curved, swollen round like a woman's belly filled with her child, but flat on top reaching to the height of my waist. There was a hole in the middle. I crouched to look closer, slid my palm around the smooth opening, reaching my fingers inwards. Would I fit? I wanted to. It was large enough, I was sure. I'd spent too many years being sensible. Now, if I wanted to do a thing, I'd do it. I could wriggle through and out the other side. I sat back and removed my coat. The squeeze was tight, but I managed. Arms followed my shoulders. At my hips, the stone formed a tight ring about my pelvis. But then my legs slithered through, and I was reminded of a foal being born from its mother, deposited in an ungainly fashion upon the ground. At last I stood upright on the other side, resting my back against the hard surface. An adder crept from beneath the stone, 
eyes like black dewdrops watching me, before pouring itself away down a crevice. Only then did I notice the others, four or five feet apart and of various sizes, stones forming a complete circle pressed close into the hedge, almost hidden in the yew. There were stories about such places, human sacrifices, or perhaps it was just lambs they offered up, slitting their throats and letting the blood form a libation. I stepped away from the stone upon which I'd been leaning, just stories and just stones. Nevertheless, I felt a twinge of disquiet. I no longer wanted to be there. I admired Mrs. McInnes. Like myself, she was a woman alone, managing well without a husband. She spoke without flattery or offence, and most importantly, treated me as her equal. Together we drew up a plan for the restoration of Docada's house. It had been built in the 17th century. Mrs. McInnes had no idea of the age of the stones within the maze. The first Laird Docardus had been fascinated by the old ways. Perhaps the yew hedges served to keep the circle private. The frosts are coming, she told me, so we must choose which livestock to slaughter and which to keep. There's only so much fodder to feed them over the winter months. The rest of the boats will take to the mainland for sale. Her sons, Nies and Ichain, for all their handsomeness, were brutish. I contrived to avoid them as far as I was able. At supper, more than once, I felt a hand creep to my thigh, or a foot extend to rub mine. Their gaze was arrogant, that of men who know themselves strong and desired by women. Those taunts were childish games, an attempt to make me blush or exclaim. Men, always behaving as if your only purpose was to be tipped into the hay. Local girls coming up from the village to do the rough cleaning would squeal at the approach of a groping hand, yet made little attempt to remove themselves from reach. I explored the house, sitting at dusty dressing tables and lying on beds. Looking in a mottled mirror, I imagined the women who had done so before me. All those faces and bodies now dust themselves. I'd peer beyond my reflection probing the shadows of those antiquated rooms, half hoping some phantom would materialise. Fancying a footfall behind me, or a swish of silk, I enjoyed seeing how far I might scare myself. In the night I'd listened to every sigh of air, and despite myself thought of Mrs. McKinnis' sons in their beds. I imagined creeping the corridor and choosing one or the other, lifting the sheet to lie beside a man's body, warm with sweat. I'd yield to calloused hands, submit to the weight of them above me, inside me. I craved the sour sweetness of that surrender, as distinctly as the yearning for an autumn berry crushed between teeth and tongue. My dreams were no longer of an unseen presence. Instead, each night they returned me to wander the maze. My flesh felt the pull of black pathways, I would enter and the part of myself I'd too long kept hidden would show itself. I lay naked, and from the shadows of each standing stone they drew forward. Figures unknown to me, hooded, masked. Held captive by the stone, I had no choice but to open my legs to each in turn. I begged for them to end my torture, 
Yet I surrendered again, eager for more of that exquisite pain. Waking breathless, my own hand pressed insistently to my sex. I trembled, consumed by the horror of those dreams. I'd failed to attend church the previous Sunday, having been travelling, and found that I slept late on the morning of the next. I quickly made my way downstairs, Bible under my arm. Mrs. McInnes was in her parlour, fire lit, her hands knitting. What time is the service? I asked, somewhat breathless from hurrying. Do you have it later here? She set down her needles. There's no service, Miss Muir, being as there's no rector to officiate. Did I not tell you? He died in the great flu two years ago, along with so many. None has been sent to replace him, so we have no service to attend. Remote as Irig was, and small of population, the news greatly surprised me. There must be some oversight on the part of the diocese. At the very least, a clergyman could have been sent on some rotation schedule. Will you take a slice of toast, Miss Muir? We take our main meal around four. We've a nice goose plucked and prepared. But how do you worship, I inquired, returning again to the subject. Picking up her needles, she began casting on with nimble fingers. Mrs. McInnes, I prompted. She continued as if she'd not heard me, at last raising her head to give me a curt smile. We do that in our own way. In truth, I don't miss attending the Kirk, always such a draughty place. I couldn't imagine any Scottish woman of Mrs. McInnes's generation not steeped in the desire to demonstrate religious fervour. It seemed unthinkable that she or any of the islanders did not find a way to attend church on a Sunday. We sat for a while, the room quiet but for the crackle of the fire and the click of Miss McInnes's needles. Mary will be here soon, she said, come to use the sewing machine. She was to make herself a new dress from the cast-off curtains we'd taken down. Presently, Mrs. McInnes left us. I sat in the armchair while Mari knelt on the floor, laying out the pattern upon the fabric. You've had a chance to explore? she asked, removing a pin from her mouth. I admitted that I had, and found the wilderness of the heath most invigorating. She continued working, cutting the panels of cloth. And you've been to the circle? As she asked, her eyes slid up to gauge my response. I felt myself blush, knowing the fear and strange appetites which those stones inspired in me. I see you have, she said simply. There is no need to hide it. Mari's eyes were knowing, but I wasn't ready to reveal all that shamed me. All Irig lassies are taken to the circle to pass through the sacred stone. She moved to thread the bobbin on the machine. Without acknowledging the longing, how would we survive? Mari smiled. Samain is approaching, of course, and that's a bit more serious. Reverend McDavish used to turn a blind eye. He knew that some things on the island weren't for changing, no matter what he preached in the pulpit. I'd heard of the old Samain rituals, of sweeping out the house with a besom broom and the bonfires over which people used to jump to cleanse the old and welcome the new. It was a festival of light born from darkness, of encouraging life from the dormant earth. We do things properly here, continued Mari. There's the mumming, of course. 
The men do like to dress up and give us a scare, impersonating the souls of the dead, you see, come to revisit us. The veil's thin on that night, between this world and the next. Every home sets extra places at the table, so they know they're welcome. The room was warm, but a shiver crossed my back. The cook didn't arrive at the house on Monday, feeling unwell. If the boys bring you some game, will you make a stew? asked Mrs. McInnes. I was cutting carrots when they came in, knees carrying a hair by its feet. I've not skinned one before, I said. I don't think I can. Then there's something we can teach you, he said. He moved to stand by my side, close enough that I could smell the earth on him and the ripeness of livestock. His fingers closed over mine, his hand large enough that my own disappeared beneath it. He pressed my palm to the hair which was still warm, the brown fur soft. Echain took the jointing knife from the block. I drew back as he scraped the edge of the blade around the hare's neck, trimming the fur away to expose the pale skin. Feet next, he said, just above the joint. He pressed the knife firmly through the space where the bones met, and a trickle of red oozed from the wound. Now for the fur. Taking my hand, he made me bunch the skin of the hare's chest so that he could make an incision sliding his finger gently into the cut, working the skin away from the meat. He cut further, working his fingers beneath, raising the skin as he sliced, until it reached the neck. He drew the hare's arms through, then pulled inch by inch the pelt from the connective tissue. Beneath the meat was dark red, enclosed by its thin membrane. A final tug, and the hind legs were through. I felt myself sway, and he chained stepped closer, my eyes focused upon the buttons of his checked shirt, old cotton worn thin from wear. Don't worry about the hair, lassie, came Nee's voice from behind. Its spirit will still run the fields, no matter that we eat it. I was aware of his breath stirring lightly the hair beneath my ear. Such a pretty thing, he whispered. I swayed again, but this time not from the sight of the bare meat. I could feel the heat of him behind me, and the pressure of a muscular thigh against the back of my own. Echain cupped my face, raising it, giving me the scrape of his jaw as well as the softness of his mouth, urging me to cede to him. Were it not for the strong hands of his brother upon my waist, I might have fallen. I allowed myself to dissolve within that kiss conscious all the while of Nee's hands reaching beneath my sweater to pluck the fabric of my blouse from where it tucked into my skirt, his fingers finding the bare skin of my back. Are you like the hair, lassie, fickle as the moon? He unbuttoned the back of my skirt, then reached to the front until his palm lay hot upon my lower belly. I thought of him reaching lower to cup between my legs, pressing his fingers to where I'd so often done the same and moaned with the imagining of it. Echain's tongue entered my mouth, and his kiss became more urgent, his body harder. I felt the swollen desire of him pushed upon me through his trousers. Knees rubbed against the curve of my buttock. Sweet hair, he whispered again. Have you been thinking of us in the night? I couldn't have said how long she'd been standing there. 
The kitchen door was open and she'd made no sound. When she spoke, her tone was peremptory. Now, now, boys, that's enough, I do believe. Ichane drew away, and niece too, leaving me to clutch my skirt. I uttered some sound of strangulated shame, unable to look up to meet her eye or theirs. I see you're not backward in your courting, boys, but I fear you'll overwhelm Miss Muir. She can hardly be accustomed to such attention. When I looked up, she'd retired to her parlour. I was unable to shake my sense of indignity and awkwardness. Mrs. McInnes uttered no judgment, yet was watchful. If I were to find myself again in that situation, would I behave differently? With their hands beneath my clothing, their mouths on my skin, passing me from one to the other, stripping away propriety as surely as the skin pulled from the hair, I knew I would offer them everything. It was with some relief that I saw Nice and Ichen leave to drive the larger part of the sheep into the village. From there, the boats would take them to the mainland. The McInnes men were responsible for fetching home the best price the auction could summon. However, only three days passed before Mrs. McInnes told me they were due back on the morning tide. You'll take the cart to fetch them? The horses know the track. You need do nothing more but sit atop, then await the boat at the harbour. I looked up at the walls of you as I descended the hill and felt an urge to stop the cart. The maze continued to plague my dreams. I felt its presence always. The dark shadow of the circle hung about me in all my hours, waking and sleeping. The boat had already landed when I reached the harbour, but there was no sign of the men. They must have gone for beer in the captain's house. I was yet to visit Irig's church. If I were quick, I'd have time before they returned. The building was forlorn with dusty pews and the air damp. Leaves had blown in. It was difficult to imagine a thriving congregation. As I returned to the sunlight, I heard their voices. Taking the path that rounded the building, I saw them almost at once. Two broad backs and the bending figure of Mari, her skirts raised to her waist. I was afraid to move. Better not to look, nor listen, yet I could not bring myself to leave. I crouched, peering from behind a headstone. Nee's fingers dug deep into the flesh of her hips, holding her to his thrusts. You're too rough, she complained, then caught her breath. Kneel still and abide your tupping, scolded Eachin, unbuckling his trousers. He stroked himself, and Mari raised her head to take him in her mouth, drawing back and forth upon his length. That's it, little you, he said, placing his hand on her hair. I've milk to give you if you suck well enough. I crawled away through the grass, returning to wait at the cart. Knees took the reins beside me on our journey back, his brother lying in the rear. Knee's leg pressed warm to my thigh. The scent of the sexual act hung heavily on his body. As we began to cross the heathland, I wondered if they'd stop the cart. My mouth grew dry. Would they lay me in the back or take me to the side of the road? Neither spoke, knees looking ahead, each chain seeming to doze. 
When we entered the tunnel of arching branches, my breath became tight in my chest. This would be the place. They might do as they liked, without fear of being caught. We continued until we weren't far from the maze. How easily they might carry me there. Under the shade of those yew walls, we'd be hidden. With some surprise, I saw the house already before us. The journey had passed quickly, my mind distracted by the pouring of the creature within me. As I descended from the cart, I felt the ache of my disappointment. Here is your cuckoo, said Mrs. McInnes, after we'd taken our supper. See if you can sleep. There'll be a bit of noise and the mummers can be so crude. You don't need to hear all that. She smiled, seeing me drink. The best part of Semaine begins after midnight. I'll come and get you, don't worry. You won't miss out. Undressing, I looked out at the lanterns. Some of the men had been drinking, shouting, as men do when they've imbibed more than is good for them. In the dark, my eyesight wasn't good. It was hard for me to focus, but something dark hung in the air, a deeper black than the shadows. My eyes were closing as I heard the antler horns blowing. I was still drowsy when I heard Mrs. McInnes's voice at my pillow, her hand on my shoulder. We're ready for you, my dear. You are our guest of honour. She raised me from the bed, helping my feet into my slippers. They're waiting, you see. All waiting, just for you. It was difficult for me to judge the distance between the steps as she led me down the stairs, but Mrs. McInnes kept a firm grip under my elbow. She placed a wreath of flowers on my head before opening the door. Ahead, on the hill, there was a glow from within the maze. I'm the guest of honour, I repeated. My lips felt strangely numb. That's right said Mrs. McInnes, leading me towards the entrance to the maze. No need to be afraid. There were so many, and masked so cleverly. Fish and cockerels, sheep, hares and cows, all the creatures of Irig. Two wore masks with long curling ram horns. Where the eyes were cut out was the glint of their own. I knew the broadness of their shoulders and the muscles upon their arms. Each was naked but for the fleece about his waist. The goddess Nichtnevan is within you, whispered Mrs. McInnes. She'll protect and guide as the laird's heirs worship you. It's their sacred duty and yours now, Iris. Bring fruitfulness to your own body and to all creatures of our island. Lifting the nightdress from my head. Take their seed, said Mrs. McInnes. They carried me to the stone, and I felt no hardness behind my back, as if I'm on grass. The fleece tickled between my legs as one leant over me. I held my breath as he pushed himself deep, 
thrusting to where I'd never reached. My moans of pleasure sounded as if they were coming from far away, from the mouth of some other woman, bolder and more brazen than I could ever be. So many eyes watching, and all for me. When he withdrew, my thighs were wet. As the second entered, I found I wished only for more. You write the advertisement, my dear, she says, passing the ink and the same blue notepaper on which she wrote to me. It seems so long ago. We need more hands to help. Over the winter my belly has grown, and I can't climb the ladder to hold the wallpaper in place. Will it be so busy when the first guests arrive? Some new blood, says Mrs. McInnes. That's what Heirik needs. guys enjoyed the show that was The Ritual, written by Emmanuelle de Maupassant. You guys can go visit her website at emmanueldemaupassant.com. For more sexy stories, go to Amazon, iTunes, or Audible and search Rose Carraway. Sign up for Audible's 30-day trial and you can get one of my audiobooks for free. Your subscription will include one free audiobook every month, as well as give you discounted prices on all my audiobooks you can cancel at any time. Don't forget to leave us a sexy review. Hey, are you interested in winning free print books, ebooks, or audiobooks? Please follow the show on Twitter at the KMQ. You can follow me at Rose Caraway and Big Daddy at Big Daddy Dave. Maybe you're a writer looking to get your short story published. Head over to stupidfishproductions.com and subscribe to get news on our latest calls for submissions, interviews, sexy snippets, writerly wisdoms, and so much more. Audio production by Big Daddy Dave Carraway. The KMQ would like to thank the following musical artists. Kai Engel, Rui, Ryan Little, and the KMQ introduction music by Vivich. The Kiss Me Quicks Erotica Podcast is a Stupid Fish production and is brought to you by Viking Thunder by Emmanuel de Maupassant in iTunes, Amazon, and Audible. Stupid Fish. Phalene's bodice was unlaced, her breasts half exposed above, the fabric of her chemise torn.
I could only guess at how the preceding hours had been spent. Her eyes were as wild as her hair, dark and dangerous. She filled my cup and then set down her jug. She climbed barefoot onto the long table in the centre of the room and began to sway her hips, all the time her eyes upon those of Irik, who had sat back upon his chair, face red with annoyance. Phelan had never been married. She'd been promised to someone of importance from the garrison town under her father's instruction. Inconveniently, her betrothed had fallen fatally from his horse a week before the wedding day. Her father, my husband, had been obliged to plan anew, and no suitor, wealthy or influential enough, had yet been found for the match. Yet Phelan moved like a woman well familiar with the marriage bed. She raised her skirts as she danced, stepping ever closer towards Irik, until she was no more than an arm's length from where we sat. She dipped low, bending her knees and sitting upon her haunches, her skirts swept aside to expose herself, her bush thick and curling and the slash of her cunt red, open and wet. She splayed her lips with her fingers, inviting him to look into her and to see the salted slickness of the men who'd entered her already. I'd never seen inside another woman, not even in childbirth. It was the older women who helped with such things, not I. Irik's expression was intent. What man would not have been caught under her spell? He released himself, letting his trousers drop to the floor, displaying his cock fully erect, glistening at the tip. It matched the size of him, giant in stature and giant of pike. Viking Thunder Written by Emmanuel de Maupassant Narrated by Emma Parry